and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning. Good to see you here today. And uh, thanks to modern technology, it's amazing who we're able to reach through what we do. So I appreciate you being here today as we sort of speak speak intimately here, but much wider across the world. Special shout out today to uh, those who watch us in the great continent of Africa. So how do you know that? I can tell by the names. (laughs) But thank you anyway. Um, It may seem I'm talking about two different things this morning as we begin to cut into this, but actually, hopefully you'll see the link, and particularly the first part of this, I felt a real inner compulsion that I I want to convey to you at this time. Um, It will be a persistent challenge throughout life to ensure you do not become a willing participant in your own enslavement. Society and its response to ideas and change can be fairly accurately divided into five categories for which somebody did all the work and actually called it the diffusion of innovation theory. You don't need to necessarily remember the name, but I hope you can understand uh, how these categories apply to us, particularly at a time like this, uh, with the challenges that we face. And I want to show you this simply to illustrate how things work in a given situation and why you respond the way you do and obviously other, others likewise. <clears throat> and I want, I want to show you the power and accuracy of the theory, but also what breaks the theory and prevents progress. Now, if, if, if you need to overlay this on biblical events, uh, you'll see that it's, it's evident there also. So if that's what you need, you'll find this works in that context. And so let me give you those five categories as we begin to build on what we want to say this morning. The first group are called innovators, and they make up 2.5% of every group, okay? So if 100 people are together, 2.5%, two and a half of them will be innovators. That therefore is only 25 per thousand, 250 per 10,000. So you can see that innovators are not, uh, are not the most common category of people. And uh, what defines innovators is, and, and you'll be able to think within here who you think might be innovators, they're always thinking, they're always questioning, and they're always exploring new ideas. And then the next group are called 
early adopters, and they make up 7.5% of any group. And I, I'm amazed how accurate this tends to be in any given group, even when you break it down to small numbers or take it to big numbers. The next 7.5% are called early adopters, and that's because they get excited by the thoughts, questions, and new ideas. And then join in the unfolding and application of those thoughts and ideas. That gives you about 10% of any given group. So in here, about 10% of this group will fall into the categories of innovators or early adopters. So that's a minority of the group. Now the next two groups constitutes most of any group, any crowd, any organization, and uh, altogether, if you add them, it's almost 70% it's almost of the whole and so most of you are going to fall into these categories. Now, I want you to understand this. First of all, to know that there's no condemnation and no accusation, and it's fine because you can't help it if you fall into these groups, but you can help how you respond and understand being part of one of these groups because it will help you to flow. And so the first of that 70% group are called the early majority, and they make up about 34%. And, and, and this group of early, of early majority think to a degree, see if this is you, think to a degree, but would rather have thoughts and ideas, would rather have thoughts and ideas presented and explained in a way that instructs rather than expecting them to come to too many conclusions themselves. Don't be afraid if you're in that group because you are one among many, but it's important you understand that so you can stay focused and understand that you have to come along in a particular certain way. Now, the other half of that group are called the late majority. And some of you invariably in here will be part of this group. Now, the late majority also think to a degree but mostly from a resistance base. It's like, I don't like having to be challenged with this. Why do I have to be thinking about this? Can't we leave things just how they are? But eventually you'll come along, but it means that you think mostly from a resistance base, and that, that's due to a dislike of unfamiliarity, insecurity, and uncertainty. So we understand, I understand as a leader, and, 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 and if you're in that group, what happens is you will often have irrationally simplistic thinking. You don't like anything to have any complication whatsoever, but life is complicated and things are complicated and movement is complicated. But I understand your makeup is that you don't like to have that sort of thinking. So, so you think simplistically and that's sometimes irrational. You're more comfortable with, tell me what to do and what are the rewards or consequences. That's where you sit. Then we have the fifth category, which actually make up 16% of the whole. And that 16%, I have to understand frustratedly, are also part of us. And they're known as laggards. Now, don't be ashamed if you are. You are, just try not to be as laggardy as your laggarding would want you to be. Because laggards still think the idea that you're talking about is the same one you had eight years ago. And that given time, you'll come back to that. Now, it does, it, laggards are not necessarily lacking in sincerity. So this is not about how sincere you are. 
but certainly lack the ability or maybe the willingness to engage new ideas, developments and processes with any degree of understanding. Uh, somebody like me who's at the other end pities you greatly, not from a sense of you being pitiful, but I can't understand how difficult it is when that's how you tick to get a hold of some of the things that we're asking you to get a hold of. But we understand, and the truth is we will always have that kind of group among us. So I wanted you to grasp that because I felt it's important in the context of where we are and where we are moving forward to as a church so that you can uh, get some perspective on how you respond particularly to change. So at these extremes, therefore, uh, it would appear there are two types of people. These are the two extremes. Those who need to be heard and those who need to be herded. So whether we like it or not, those two groups exist. Those who need to be heard and those who need to be Herded. It's the difference between following the sound and following the crowd. And again, I'm not saying this with any critical condemnation whatsoever, just that if we understand this, it will help us to isolate the things that make us work smoothly or make us work with friction. So those who need... Uh, um, it's the difference between following the south, following the crowd. Bear in mind the voice of the innovators, the prophets at that top end, will most often be contrary. And that's the problem for the rest of the group. Innovators and early adopters, who are usually the innovators, the prophets, uh, are most often contrary. And I know that we are contrary here. And those who need to be heard tend to be the prophets. And those who pr prefer to be herded, admitted or not, tend to be the sheep. And again, we can get problems being called sheep, but Jesus used the term sheep all the time, not because he was being derogatory to people. He was understanding that there are those who need to be heard and those who need to be herded. And so we tried to make provision for both. So group crowd think affects one, more individual pushing affects the other. This flow of things is actually wholesome in many ways because it helps to give some checks and balances to the whole thing. So again, I'm not criticizing this. I'm saying it, when it's pro in its proper place, it can be very wholesome in our development. The problem is this flow of things, there, there, seems, there seems to be one thing that supersedes and disrupts this process. And that's fear. And so I said all that because I felt I needed to instruct you with that, but I've said all that to lead me in to talking to you this morning about fear, which is a critical subject in the context of where we have been for these last two years, how that will impact society and where we go from here. Because it's funny how fear seems not to work by the same model, that, seem, that progressiveness of innovators and early adopters and middle adopters and late adopters and laggards, but fear always seems to go from naught to 100 in three seconds. You can understand structures and systems and thoughts, but somehow fear goes from naught to 100 in three seconds. And if you don't believe that, you need to see where we went from in March 2020, in the space of days, when we were being shown videos of people falling dead in the street in China, what began to happen immediately? 
Now, that's only one example, and we have different views on what may have happened in the course of the pandemic, but I think you would have to concede wherever you come from that fear has met, played a major part, and it goes from naught to 100 in three seconds. So it raised questions in me about the power of fear and how easy it is for fear to move us from normality to high anxiety in a short space of time. In whatever it is you're facing, physically, emotionally, relationally, culturally, it's also the four-letter word at the core of human control. Fear. Once you get people into fear, they will always look outside themselves for someone to protect them from what it is that they fear. And I know as a preacher that preachers have used that for years, that if you can get people into fear, you're at risk, you're in danger of eternal damnation, they will always look outside themselves for someone to protect them from what it is they fear and that's where we can present a certain perspective of Jesus and a certain perspective of salvation and a certain demand on life. It becomes the primary tool in the process of control, particularly if you can create a perception of protection. If you do this, it will protect you. If you accept this, it will protect you. If you come and pray this prayer, it will protect you. If you believe Jesus in this way, it will protect you. Then within that perception of protection, you can create a whole narrative, which I've witnessed this in my life, which by and large will go unquestioned. And where it is, where it does occur, will be un aggressively protected. And without getting too controversial, if you can't see that overlaid over what's happening in society today, you're blind. Fear distorts perception. And the video that we showed illustrates this. It takes us on a journey of realization that we may, what we hold may not be the threat we perceived. The egg that they found that was not of their species that they then began to fear was going to kill them and devour them. This, this movie takes us on the realization of the journey that what we hold may not be the threat that we perceive. But you see, fear distorts perception. Let me say that again, fear distorts perception. Wherever you get fear working, it distorts perception. So the question was asked, does that look like a monster to you? In other words, what's your perspective? Does that look like a monster to you? The impact of perspective is critical in dealing with the subject of fear. Fear magnifies threat and heightens anxiety. That's what fear does. Magnifies threat and heightens anxiety. But here's where I want to finish this section with this. It seems we arrive in this world ready to be afraid. Helpless and vulnerable and completely dependent on others. So where we want to use fear as a weapon to weaponize fear, we have to get people to feel helpless and vulnerable and completely dependent on others. I hope you're seeing some truth here. If this fearful approach to life is not deconstructed, it exacts an extraordinary toll. And I am fearful for the next couple of years. Its walls of security place blinders on our experience and boundaries on our potential, and fear becomes our chief advisor. Unless our perspective changes, our perception will remain the same.
Fear becomes our master rather than our servant. And that means that where we are looking from is more important than what we are looking at. The difficulty when talking about fear is the challenge of knowing the difference between healthy and unhealthy fear. In the video clip from, from the Crudes, Grug, the father, makes the statement, fear keeps us alive. Never not be afraid. Now, it saddens me to believe that ground zero, the core of some of your being, resonates more with that than it does with freedom. Fear keeps us alive. Never not be afraid. But Eep starts to ask questions. Eep is the daughter. And I would say using the same language skills of Grug to distort English to the negative, always never stop asking these questions. He says, never not be afraid. I say, always never stop asking these questions that Eep asked, what's the point of all this? It's not a one-timer. It's a persistent, consistent thing you should ask every day. What's the point of all this? Why are we here? What are we doing this for? Otherwise, the fear keeps us alive will dictate a way of life from which you will never be free. All Grug's stories end the same. If you watch the movie, and died. Doesn't matter what his story is, they all end the same, and died. And dear old Gran makes the statement on this clip and says, it's the same ending as every day. Now, I would hate to feel that's some of your story and what it is that you face, that when you run it over in your mind and in your heart, it's the same ending every day. You can never see a brighter ending than the one that your fear has dictated to you will be. Jesus said, fear not many times. But he never said, fear not because you're just being silly. He never said, fear not because this is not a real situation you're facing. The objective was to change our focus, not dismiss our concern. And that's my objective this morning. His whole focus seems to have been to guide us into the truth in regards to fear that I said earlier. Where you are looking from is more important than what you are looking at. Fear is a necessary tool for survival, but it must not become a chief advisor or it will become a brutal dictator. It masquerades as a friend, seducing us to believe we'd better follow its guidance or woe betide. In Romans chapter 8, there's a record of Paul writing something, and this is what he wrote. For you did not receive a spirit, small s, that makes you a slave again to fear. The problem is that many of us operate on a spirit, small s, that keeps making us a slave again to fear. He said, but you received the spirit, big S, which is the God involvement. You received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. What he was saying is that where you are looking from changes 
when you understand there is a spirit of sonship that is at work here, something bigger than you, something at work outside of you, something of which you are a part, and something of which you can rightfully claim, this is the right thing to father me. See, fear breaks up wholeness. And this links to integrity. And integrity is not honesty. Integrity comes from the word integral. It's when every aspect of our life and existence connects in its proper role together. It's not about being honest. It's about connected living. And that's where fear finds its foothold when your living becomes disconnected and lacks integrity as fear encourages compartmentalization. And of, of that which we feel we can control or hand over to someone else to control and the issue becomes control, you stay afraid because if you can't feel you have control, you don't know how to live without fear. When we rise above fear, we see the tangled web of differences around us resolve into an elegant whole, a whole that is coherent, purposeful and beautiful and that's what happens when we rise above our fear there's a great story in the new testament to convey a principle and jesus and his disciples get in a boat to go to the other side of the lake the lake the sea of galilee and while they're out there a storm blows up all of a sudden and jesus is asleep in the back of the boat and his disciples who've been listening to him are in a flat panic. And they are afraid of the storm. But Jesus is asleep in the same boat. Can you see the conflict here? Jesus is asleep in their boat. They're panicking in their boat. All I can say about what that says to me about Jesus asleep in the boat is that he must have been conscious of something greater about himself that this could not bring him down this could not destroy him this could not be the end of the story and when you become conscious of something greater about yourself not just about God but about yourself it leads to rest here's the sad thing though the disciples said to Jesus and this is how it's recorded in Mark and I remember it from when I grew up and from songs, carest thou not that we perish? Which in modern English is, don't you care that we're dying here and you dare to be asleep? Now here's the problem. The presence of peace is often seen as a lack of care, not a lack of fear. And so if you see in a leader like me, the presence of peace, but all hell is breaking loose, most often you will interpret it as a lack of care, not a lack of fear. But actually it's not a lack of care, and it is a lack of fear, but it's a presence of peace. When fear dictates how we respond, the peace of others becomes an offence to us. So can we mistrust our fear? Poke holes in its pretense and develop the conviction that our experience of it is not absolute and fixed after all. I know that I know that I know this morning that uh, within what we're saying there is not just uh, words for people but there is really a word for someone that's going to transform 
your journey in life. It's interesting again that as we watch this uh, last video clip that uh, you see it again, all Grug stories end the same. I don't know if you saw all the pictures on the wall, but every single one of his pictures had the red mark on because every time he tells the story, the end is the same. <clears throat> this is the legacy of a life filled with fear. The end is always the same and died. The essence of the truth lived out in Jesus is the exact opposite. It brings the word into the equation and lived, was crucified and lived. Lazarus was buried and lived. There wasn't enough food, people would die and they lived. It's the essence of the truth of what Jesus was all about and the breaking of fear by the spirit of understanding what he was trying to teach us about where we see from and not what we're looking at is most important. What I love in there is the, the guy is called Guy, okay? And Guy sees beyond the fear. I love it when Grug finishes his story and he goes, whoa, I did not see that coming. See, I want to bring you to a spirit in your life that's the spirit of Guy, where when death seems to be the end, when fear seems to close the door and bring us into prison and bondage, the, the end you see coming is not and died. So Guy sees beyond the fear. He sees the story going to a different place. That's part of innovators and early adopters, if you don't see the tie, that they see the story going to a different place. It's a different spirit. And he talked about going to the edge of the cliff in his story. And of course, you know, and she, and she slipped. And of course, you know, Grug comes in and died. But he says, no, she flew. And here's what I draw from that, that sometimes you've got to find the edge where you can see, hear, and feel. And maybe you'll slip and fly and find tomorrow. And this is part of the process that I brought to you at the beginning. There's another great story that I just want to draw your attention to in the Old Testament of the Bible in the second book of Kings and chapter, chapter 7. And he talks about a city under siege. And, and you'll see why this is important, why I want to take just a few minutes to talk about this. He talks about a city under siege. Being in fear is like living in a city under siege. It's like you can look out from your ramparts, but all you can see is that you are surrounded, that you are outnumbered, that you are oppressed, and it's just a matter of time until they starve you to death, until your restriction within the ramparts of your besieged city means inevitably that the end is Grug's end and died. But this story is amazing because in its wonderful poetic language telling of, of this in incident, it talks about Jerusalem being under siege and they're all there ready to die. They've prepared to die. They've got their ducks in order. Why? Because it's inevitable. This is so bad. It's so dangerous. It's so terrible. There's only one possible outcome from this. Never not be afraid. But there are three lepers 
who lived outside the wall because they were already outcasts. Thank God for outcasts. Outcasts will save you most of the time. Innovators and early adopters tend to be outcasts, but they will save your life if you will listen. And these three lepers, they made an amazing statement. They said, well, if we stay here, we die. If we go down to the camp of the enemy, maybe we will die. So the difference, the odds they had was the difference between definitely and maybe. And I have to say, most time in life, when you have to move free from something, the best odds you're going to get is definitely and maybe. Stay where you are and you will definitely get the fruits of your fear. But if you're prepared to move, maybe, maybe, and maybe is better than definitely. Maybe gives hope. Maybe says, when you slip, you may fly and you may find tomorrow. And so it's under siege and these three lepers decide we're going to go down to the camp of the Syrians. The interesting thing is how the story writes it is wonderful because when they arrive at the camp of the Syrians who were the ones besieging the city, they found all the tents were empty because the enemy that was besieging them actually wasn't there. They were believing something could do something against them when actually it no longer existed in the form that it began in and because they were able to break the spirit of fear, they were able to find freedom and safety and blessing and what the Bible calls in old language of old story spoils they were able to take spoils from it now they were very tempted not to tell anybody and so they buried some stuff and then one of them one of them had his conscience pricked and he said is it right for us to have discovered this and not be willing to go and tell them and the truth is innovators and early adopters can be like that shall we just keep this to ourselves or shall we take the risk of sharing it with them when we know what this is going to take if we share it and so they went back to the city and told the king and the elders. And do you know what happened? They were still too afraid to leave the city because they would not believe what the lepers, the outcasts had told them of the fact that they now no longer to fear, needed to fear or be afraid. We're watching that unfold in society right now. But be prepared to listen to the outcasts who may be giving you a message that's good news that says we're no longer under siege. Be ready to take your life back. And so, the, so then people from the city listened. The king wouldn't listen, but people listened. And they found that actually the basis for their fear no longer existed in the form that they had believed. So let me begin to bring this to a close. Fear manipulates our perception and hides our possibilities at a distance just beyond our ability to see. You couldn't see from the city what was going on in the camp. It was just a little bit too far to see. You would have to leave the city to experience what was going on in the camp. You would have to leave your dogmas. You would have to leave your isms. You would have to leave your insecurities. You would have to leave your comfort in order to find that that place was empty and waiting for you. Sometimes you've got to leave the city of fear to see the provision of your blessing. In order for fear to successfully convince us to see the reality it wants us to see and not the reality that is, it must first distort the truth about how it distorts the truth. So fear first gets you to believe it's fear. 
It gets you to believe it's not distorting truth, but the fear is the most trustworthy truth that you could ever have. And so it first must distort truth about how it distorts truth. I aren't going even, I could go places down here to relieve my own frustrations, but I'm not going to do it. We must, know, we must not know that fear is a distortion or we would no longer believe it. So fear draws a veil of obscurity over the way things actually are and then keeps us in darkness about what it has done. Specifically, it keeps us from realizing that it creates rather than... It, that it, let me say that again. Specifically, it keeps us from realizing that it creates rather than relieves suffering. Instead of securing fulfillment, it merely fills our mind with anxiety. And so we do not live in an objective reality, but only in our distorted perception of it. Wherever there is fear, truth is obscured, freedom is lost, and wholeness is broken. And fear is impatient. Fear's impatient. Fear says, you have to be afraid. When? Now. It's always now. You've got to do something now. You have to react now. And so what do we do? We overreact because fear is impatient. And when we buy into fear, we buy into it's impatient. And so we act now because fear makes us act impatiently. And we never think, I'll just wait and see Fear leaves us despairing and exhausted. So why do we choose to keep attending its anxious vigil of imagined catastrophe? We end up blaming our circumstances for our unhappiness instead of questioning our allegiance to fear. John the Apostle wrote some interesting things about fear and its relationship to love. It's a very interesting place to read in 1 John chapter 4, where he talks about God is love. And he makes this statement, we've no time to go further explaining this morning, but he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's whether we can believe we are loved and we can love ourselves, and can we love possibility, and we can love curiosity bigger than we love our fear. See, John's very clear that the opposite to fear is not faith. I'm not asking you today to have this incredible faith that says, I just believe that, you know, because you're probably fooling yourself anyway. I know what fear's like. The opposite to fear is not faith. Hope would actually be nearer to the truth, but that's not even it. John says love is the opposite to fear. And when you can begin to come from fear to realize there is a love in you, on you, and working through you that is bigger than your fears, that when it takes you to the edge of the cliff will cause you to fly and not die that will take you out of the city to the place you can't see from the city, but when you see it, you realize you had no need to fear what it was you were fearing because what you need is there for you. When you can grasp that, you will realize that love actually is the opposite force to fear. 
And that when we're made perfect in love, that doesn't mean that we are perfect loving people or we have perfect love towards God. It means that something perfects us when we allow ourselves to realise that we can love what is happening, we can love where we are, we can love who is on our side and that itself will, will break the spirit of fear that was within us. You are loved today bigger than the threat of your fear is the promise of what comes from the love that you are under. If only you can change your perspective, you will change your perception. And when you change your perception, you will change your outcome. And so many times gone, so much more we could say about this massive subject. We could take weeks and weeks on this. Not that I want to, but we could. But I really felt that... I wanted to read to you a psalm in closing today. These psalms are wonderful because they are ancient poetic language expressing uh, uh, understanding and insight into the challenges of life and the interaction with us and the divine and all those questions about the whys and the what and whatabouts. And so I know this is really for somebody today, but I wanted to read you Psalm 91 in closing. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I just want to say this about that. The question there is, where have you made your shelter? You see, if we've allowed fear to build the house in which we live, we are not under the shelter of the Most High. It's talking about that which is higher than the house that fear will build. There is a house higher than the house that fear will build and that's where Jesus was resting in that house, in the boat. And when you do that, you rest in a shadow. There's a shadow cast over you. Not the shadow of death, but the shadow of the Almighty. Now, wherever you stand on belief of that, what it's saying is there is something more mighty, stronger, greater, the shadow of which, when you rest in it, will change your perception. So I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. Remember, this is somebody who's faced this challenge of thinking about fear. Nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Not sure what I make of that now, but you can make of it what you wish. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you and no disaster will come near your tent. Now, there may be ways to interpret that, which are not just the shallow ways of saying, why did I then ever have to face this? But it's talking about the harm within it. It's talking about the disaster that can come from it will not come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra, and you'll trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he or she loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him or her. 
I will protect him or her, for he or her acknowledges my name. He or she will call upon me, and I will answer him or her. I will be with him or her in trouble. I will deliver him or her and honour him or her. With long life will I satisfy him or her and show him or her my salvation. That's the Bible's version of Guy's story when you walk to the edge of the cliff and risk the fact you might slip and not die, but fly. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>